Father, you love the peace and the purity of your church. And you have purchased us with the blood of Jesus for the purpose of us becoming more pure and more peaceful, knowing that without holiness we will not see God, knowing that we should make every effort as far as it depends upon us to be at peace with all men. Would you now cover us with your purity and peace in Christ and give us attentive ears and receiving hearts and obedient wills as we give ourselves over to this, your word. Come and bless us through the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Our reading from God's Holy Word this morning comes from Genesis 33. We'll begin our reading this morning in verse 1 and we'll extend to verse 11. Please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming. He was coming with 400 men with him. So he, that is Jacob, divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Then Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. The grass withers. And the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. I was struck again this week just in reading this incredible passage. How remarkable, how miraculous it is when any two human beings in strife and in division with one another are reconciled. 
It's an amazing work of God. Any time that would happen. Because how many times, and probably over the course of your whole life, if you're honest, how many times have you fallen into some sideways relationship with someone that you've been close to and, and now there's division, now there's tension and you avoid them like the plague if you can. No peace has been had. No apologies and forgiveness is granted. No reconciliation shared. No restitution given for the, for the wrongs done. In fact, to be quite honest, I think we're probably pretty cynical that that ever really will happen because we have so much evidence that points in the opposite direction that this is just not going to go well. Or maybe I'm just speaking for myself. I admit to you, I confess before the Lord, there are times when I am cynical. When I look at the recalcitrance of my own heart, it's hardness. And when I look at relationships, whether it's in the body of Christ, in the community, and in my own family and, and extended relationships, I think to myself, will, will peace ever really be had? Will reconciliation? Is it just a pipe dream? Is that really what it is? Is it, is it just an imaginary uh, reality that people talk about but never really experience? Is it a castle in the, in the clouds? Is, is it an aspiration that is a mirage? Maybe that's where some of you are this morning. And when you heard, maybe at the beginning of the service, and I said, we're going to talk about reconciliation today. You went, oh no, I should have stayed in bed. I should have stayed home. It was a dark morning already. I, the covers were comfortable. Uh, there was no reason for me to have to get out. And may, maybe that was your emotional reaction when you heard the words reconciliation this morning. Just know if that was your emotional reaction this morning. Maybe your spiritual defenses went up. That's a very good sign that you're exactly where you should be. That God in his providence didn't let you stay in bed. He's brought you here. Because he wants to do business with your heart. He's been doing business with my heart this week. Even as I consider a few relationships in my life. I'm grateful that the Lord has given me incredible peace in so many of my relationships. There are a couple of relationships that I believe I can say with conscience, as far as I know before the Lord, I've done all that I know to make peace. But I can tell you, not peace has not been fully had in some of those relationships. My prayer during this message and during the preparation for this message was, Lord... Create more Jacob and Esau reconciliations in the life of your church and in the life of this pastor. Because I want my life to be fully modeled after the peace that comes from your grace. And bed down any pride in me. Bed down any fear in me to not be honest about what I've done wrong to call those divisions, clear the playing field in order to bear witness to the ministry of reconciliation. That's the work that Paul says has been given to the church. And first and second Corinthians, he speaks of the ministry of reconciliation. Brothers and sisters, the only reason we are in this room to be able to worship God this morning is because the work of reconciliation has been done. Therefore, we are to be a people who are full in the work of reconciliation. And no better example than maybe this sweetest moment. 
I mean, this is one of the sweetest moments, isn't it? In all of scripture, when we're looking at two men who have from the get-go been at each other's throats, now kissing each other, embracing each other, falling on each other's necks, weeping together in a peace that only God can forge. You know, Jacob has just spent the whole of the night before wrestling with God. If you were with us last week in Genesis 32, we looked at that mysterious passage where God has come and he's wrestling with Jacob all through the night. And Jacob has been touched on the hip and his hip has come out of socket. And mysteriously now he's walking with this this limp from this mysterious divine figure, God himself in human form, who's wrestled with him during the night. He has just come out of that experience. And now the dawn breaks. The dawn breaks, and look at what we read in verse 1. He lifts up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming with 400 men with him. And you think, oh no. He's been up all night. He's limping. He's wobbly. He's wearied from everything that took place. And now the text is sending us right back into another conflict. If we could put it this way, he's wrestled all night, and it looks like he's about to wrestle all day. The text is actually raising some suspense for us as we're reading through it. It says, here comes Esau with his 400 men. Better get ready. And there's something, isn't there, of compassion that you feel for Jacob at this moment? I mean, he's barely wiped his brow of the sweat and the blood from the night before. And here comes Esau with a militia for a second round, another wrestling match. Except, surprise, surprise, there's no wrestling match. Much to anybody's surprise, these two brothers are reconciled. And if we're honest, we thought there was about a one and a half percent, no, just a half percent chance that they would ever be reconciled. And so one of the questions that this text rises for us, and I think helps us even as we look towards an officer or nation installation in just moments from now, is how is peace found? How is it possible that these men could, could have come back together? And what should the unity of brothers look like? How is that even possible that this would have happened? And I'd like to just suggest to you that there's a hint in the ordering of this story. There's a a hint in how reconciliation happens through the ordering of this story. And if you listen just for a moment to this point, God teaches us not just in the content of the Bible. He does that. But he also teaches us in the way that that content is presented. Did you hear that? He teaches us not just in the content of the Bible, the the very substance of the words themselves, but he also teaches us in the way the content is presented. That is the ordering of the content, the structure of the content. And I think this is a prime example where we see that point being illustrated. Because let me just take you back, especially if you're new with us this morning and may not have been a part of this story in Genesis that we've been following with Jacob and Esau. There's been a lot of tension in these two brothers' lives. Uh, Years ago, 20 years ago now, Jacob has stolen from this brother Esau his blessing by dressing up like his brother Esau, cooking a meal, for his father Isaac to go in to deceive his blind father Isaac at the time, to give to him the blessing that his father was planning to give to Esau. And we're told back in 
chapter 27 of Genesis, that that moment of his stealing of the blessing threw Esau into a murderous rage. He wanted to kill Jacob because he had stolen from him his blessing. In fact, it just reminds us of what he did even earlier in the story when when he swindled from him the birthright. Jacob's just been a sneaky cat the whole time as we've been reading this story. He's always up for an angle to get in on the blessing. And Esau had had enough of it, and he only comforted himself by thinking, one day this guy's going to be killed, and I'm going to do, the, it's going to be a blessing. I'm going to feel some pleasure in doing it. I'm so mad. And you know what Jacob did? He ran off. With the help of his mother, he ran off to his mother's people, and he's been married. He has children now, and the Lord's blessed him. He's coming back after 20 years. Maybe some of you in this room are thinking, I haven't seen that person who I'm in conflict with for 20 years. And the last time I saw them, they were ready to kill me. You think to yourself, the last thing I want to do is exactly where Jacob is, heading towards them in this moment. But in Genesis 32, you know what Jacob had said when he first heard He first heard that Esau was on his way with 400 men. You know what he did? It tells us something about the change of of Jacob. He didn't just prepare, though he did that. He prayed. He prayed, and his prayer in verse 11 of Genesis 32 was a simple prayer. God, save me from Esau. Save me from Esau. That's what he wants. And here's what's fascinating. The very next thing that happens in Jacob's life is that God comes to him at night and wrestles him to the ground and dislocates his hip. Now, you think to yourself, if that's the answer to the prayer, I'm going to quit praying. God, did I I lisp? Did I stutter in the prayer? I, I didn't mean for you to come and act like you were Esau and kill me. I meant for you to to save me from the murderous intent of Esau, but it it appears as if you're coming and you've made me now the object of your your enemy. And, And listen, that's not the point at all. God is saying, to answer your prayer to save you from Esau, I've got to first save you from you. And I've got to save you from me. If you can see the ordering of the text, it's as if God is saying, listen, you think the biggest conflict in your life is outside. No, the biggest conflict of your life is inside. The biggest conflict of your life is inside. I want you to see the conflict of facing what's inside and then the conflict to facing what's outside and why those are related in this text. You see, when he wrestled with God in the previous text, when God touched his hip and dislocated it, what was God teaching him? He was teaching him that he was weak. He was teaching him that he was needy. He was teaching him that he wasn't the legend he thought he was in his own mind. He was teaching him that he needed God and that he needed to be humbled. When he led him to say his name, when the divine is wrestling him, he asks him, what is your name? And he says, Jacob. And he mentions Jacob, and Jacob literally means deceiver. We said last week together, when he mentioned his name, Jacob, it was as if he was confessing his own identity. It was as if he was saying, I'm a deceiver. I'm Jacob. That's who I am. God was leading him to humility and weakness. And then what did God do? He gave him a new name. 
He gave him a new name last week. He gave him the name of Israel. He changed his name from Jacob to Israel. He goes, you know what? You're no longer, because you've wrestled with me. You've been humbled by me. You've now been led to confession. I'm going to give you a new name. And the new name I'm going to give you is, is Israel. God fights for you. God fights for you. But the rest of your life, you're going to live this out by walking a limp. And he did. All the days of his life, didn't he? Jacob walking around with a limp. I just keep going back to the testimony of the next morning when he goes to Leah and he goes to Rachel and he goes to the servants and he's over there and he's just dragging this you know, leg along and they go, what happened to you? Like, what, what's going on? Oh man, you wouldn't believe it. Um, God met me in the middle of the night and he wrestled me to the ground and I'm a changed man. I dealt with the conflict that was inside of me and in doing so, he was preparing Jacob to face the conflict that was outside of him with Esau. Listen, this is a huge principle with reconciliation. When we are in at loggerheads with someone, don't we so often think the problem is 90%, 95% them? And we think the issues are out there somewhere. And God is drawing Jacob to focus on his own issues. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus gives us instruction in conflict, moving towards reconciliation with another, he does his first instruction is not go to your brother and be reconciled. Do you know what he says? He says, get the speck out of your own eye before you go try to get the log out of your brothers. You know what he's saying? Take inventory here. Take inventory here. This pattern of him dealing with the conflict and the problems inside of Jacob in order that he might work through Jacob to bring peace in the relationship with Esau is exactly how the Lord works with you and me. It, it may be that the very reason you're in a divisive relationship right now, maybe between husbands and wives in this room, maybe between parents and children in this room, maybe, God forbid, between church members in this room, could be because you've never taken a good hard look at your own sin in the relationship. You're, you're crystal clear on what's wrong with them. You could write a book, but you can barely breathe out a sentence with regards to your own culpability in the relationship. God has been drilling in to the heart of Jacob. He faced the conflict inside and notice how then he faces the conflict outside. I want to just give you very briefly four characteristics of the reconciliation in this passage. And I want you to see how Jacob does this. He doesn't move forward in fear. He doesn't move forward in fear. He moves forward in faith. That's the first characteristic. He moves forward faithfully. Notice that he orders his family at the beginning of the text in a very courtly manner a very formal manner, according to their rank. And notice what it says next. It says, he went himself on before them. He takes the risk. He leads in faith, limping, dragging that leg along because he knows that God is with him and he knows that God abides with him. You remember when God was pleading with him in the previous, or when he was pleading with God in the previous passage, holding on to him, holding on to his clothes with the hip out of socket? He says, I'm not going to let you go until what? You bless me. And we're told that as the day breaks, that divine second person of the Trinity, the Son of God coming in human form, they're wrestling with 
Jacob blesses him before he leaves. You know what that did? That gave Jacob the confidence and faith to know that as he goes out to face Esau, he goes with God's blessing. He goes with God's promise. We know this because I want you to see how he talks in this passage. Look at verse 5. When Esau comes to him and asks about who are all these people, these, these women and these children, and he's, notice what he says. These are the children whom God has graciously given to me. Jacob, are you feeling all right? That doesn't sound anything like the way you've been talking. All of a sudden, you're looking at your wives and you're looking at your children and you're, you're not going, look at what I've done. Look at how great my camp is and my family. Look at all the resources I have. These are the children whom God has graciously given to me. I have faith. He's been transformed through the wrestling match. Look at verse 11. As Esau resists taking the gift from Jacob, Jacob insists, and notice what he says, please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me. Now, as we look at the wrestling match in the previous passage, most of us would look at it and say, that was grace? It's always grace when the Lord humbles us and even breaks us down in order to build us up in the strength of his grace. It's always gracious. That had happened to Jacob. He's now walking with an eye of faith. He's now walking with clarity. He's now seeing the gifts which God has given him. He's had a transformed heart. His character is now full of faith. I want you to see, secondly, what this did was this made him humble. When he walked in faith, secondly, now he walks in humility. You can see this in what he did, and you can see it in what he said. Look at verse 3. As he's going out to meet with Esau, look at what he does. He bows himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Now, those of you Bible scholars out there who know the history of this ritual, this is an ancient Near Eastern custom, and he is exhibiting the posture of a servant approaching a Lord. He doesn't come on his high horse. He doesn't even come in the promises that God had given him years ago. Do you remember the promises God had given him years ago? You will be the leader of the family and your brother will be your servant. That's actually the promises. But you know, in his leadership, what did he decide to do? Take on the posture of a servant. In Genesis 33, 5 and in Genesis 33, 8, in both of those accounts, what does Jacob say with, with reference to Esau? He says, listen, God has graciously given me these children, and here I am displaying them to your servant. Esau, I'm your servant. He refers to Esau as my Lord. He comes to him in humility. He comes to him putting himself at his disposal. He takes the risk, the holy risk, of humbling himself before one who might be considered his enemy. I want you to see thirdly, not only is he filled with faith, not only is he humble, but notice thirdly, he's generous. He's generous. Look at verse 32, verse 5. If you look at the previous chapter of your Bibles open, you might glance back to Genesis 32, 5, because it's there where Jacob, when he first heard of Esau coming, he gathers all these oxen, he gathers all these flocks, he gathers all these servants, male and female, and he sends them he sends them on to Esau ahead of time, even before he meets with Esau. And we're told that he does this in order to find favor in his sight. 
Now, you might read that and think to yourself, well, that's savvy. That sounds a lot like Jacob pulling out all the stops to ingratiate Esau to him, to hopefully Esau won't kill him, but maybe be at peace with him. But I want you to see that's actually not the spirit of the way in which the passage teaches us about it. If you look at verse 8, it's very interesting. It'd be hard to follow if you don't understand the flow of the passage. So look at verse 8 for a second. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? You might read that and think, what is he talking about there? Is he talking about these women and children? What do you mean by all this company that I met? Well, that's a weird way to put it. No, he's actually referring to the gift that he sent in the previous chapter. Because the word company, you know what it is? It's the word army. Or it can mean the word camp. You sent me all this stuff before I met you. What did you mean by all that? What, what was your purpose in, in doing that? What were you after in doing that? And what we're actually finding in the midst of the text is that Jacob in his extravagance and his generosity and his gift is actually trying to pay back Esau for what he'd done wrong. Now, how do I, how do I know that? Well, because the very fourth quality of this repentance after faith, after humility, after generosity is repentance. Look at verse 10. He said, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from your hand or from my hand. Accept my present from my hand. Accept my gift. But then notice the language change in verse 11. He's talking about the same thing, but notice the language change. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me. Now, why the language change? Well, it makes it really clear what his motivations are. When he had given to him a gift, Esau went, no, I've got plenty on, on my own. You, you don't need to do this. And he goes, no, I do. Please accept my blessing. What would have triggered in Esau's mind? The very thing that Jacob had robbed him of. You see, Jacob had robbed Esau of a blessing. He had taken from him these things. He had, he, had, he had, through deceit and through deception, taken He says, no, please accept my blessing. What is he saying? Accept my payment for what I've done wrong. I want to make it right. I want to live in repentance. I want to live in restitution. I want to pay back that which I have, have taken from you. It's the same word that's used in Genesis 27 for blessing which Jacob had stolen from Esau. So you see, there's way more that meets the eye here. Way more that meets the eye. In fact, this gift, as, as Esau puts it, he says it's so much stuff. This, he calls it a company. The word is a camp or literally an army. If you can see it, there's a pun Esau is coming with 400 men. He's coming with an army. <laughs> and what did Jacob send? An army. But what was it? A gift. It was a gift of an army. It looked like Esau was coming with aggression, but Jacob was sending him an army of gifts ahead of time to show him that his posture and his position in humble generosity and in faith was one that was now filled with repentance. Do you see the risk that he's taking here? This is an amazing risk. This could go really poorly for Jacob. 
This could go really poor. This is why we don't reconcile. This is why we don't do it. Because we think to ourselves, what are the odds that it's going to go right? And there's a lot of evidence, you think, in the other person that teaches you, this is not going to go well. And the other person looks at you and thinks, the odds of them actually behaving themselves in the midst of a meeting and bringing repentance and reconciliation, the, the odds are low. And so we're not going to do it. We don't want to go through the heartache. We don't want to go through the pain. That's not Jacob's position. Jacob is saying, I now, having wrestled with the Lord in the problems and the conflicts in my own life, the Lord has deposited to me a grace, and I have been delivered from the very almighty, powerful hand of God. How can I not now, in the spirit of his reconciling of me to him, how can I not be an agent of reconciliation to others? That's his spirit. And if you can ponder it, it's the spirit of actually a Christian. A lot of times we say to ourselves, I can't be reconciled another. I can't go through the pain. I can't go through the, the difficulty. But aren't you glad Jesus didn't think that way? He went to the cross and prayed for forgiveness for those who were cheering for his crucifixion. And we say to ourselves, I just don't think I can go through the pain. Have you recognized the depth of the pain he's gone through to make you part of his family? And to be reconciled with you? At what point is your pain more significant than Jesus's in the work of his reconcili reconciliation of us to him? At what point can we say it's too much? At what point can God say it's too far? You don't need to go that far to be reconciled. At what point can we say we've gone further than our God has gone in reconciling us. This is why God says, as far as it depends on you, as far, everything within your power, everything within your strength to be reconciled. You can't make it happen, but you can, by the grace of God, give every inducement that it would happen. That's the spirit of the Christian. That's the spirit that we see of Jacob in this passage. And we know Jacob's thinking this way, because listen, do you see that odd verse? It really is odd. It may have even troubled you. Look at verse 10. Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. And then he gives the reason why he wants him to accept the present. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Now let's get this right. Uh, did he just say... That seeing Esau is like seeing God? I think he just said that. That's a little troubling. Theologically, you should have some bells going off in your mind. So the question we should be asking, what do you think he means by that? Does he mean to say Esau is the very visage or incarnation of God himself? No, he does not mean that. What he does mean is this. In the previous evening, I have just wrestled with God and I came face to face with him and he delivered me. And now this morning, I have been face to face with you, another one of my enemies. 
I was at enmity with God and he wrestled me to the ground and gave me grace. I was at enmity with you and now I have come to you and we have been reconciled. Being with you is like exactly like seeing the face of God last night. And you know what it tells me? It tells me this moment is a God moment. That God has changed your heart, Esau. Because God has changed my heart. This is a God moment. It's like seeing the face of God seeing this reconciliation. It's like coming into the very presence of the sanctuary of God, experiencing this forgiveness from you. Because I've just experienced it from my God. And now he's gone before me in blessing and he's paved the way for me to experience it with you. Isn't that beautiful? It's absolutely beautiful. Jacob knows that this is a work of God's grace. Listen, the reason that we don't enter into the work of reconciliation is that we listen more to the fear of it not working out than listening in faith to the promises of God who will bring all things to rights. The more that we listen to the promises of God, the more we'll be encouraged and strengthened in faith to experience the assurances of God's grace. Friends, I want to encourage you. As far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. As far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. For Jesus wrestled your sin to the ground on the cross and he dealt it a death blow. And now in your weakness, you are strong because you have a Savior who loves you even in the midst of your brokenness. And he cares for you even though you walk with a limp still. I see it and you see mine. That limp is our testimony that God has done great things. Let's walk in that reconciling limp. And let's in strength model what we have received in our Savior. Father in heaven, give us the strength even as we turn our attention to the model of this in leadership. As we consider the two brothers that are before us this morning and the unity that you desire among your men who lead your church under shepherds looking to your hand in care. Father, let them be humble. Let them uh, be faithful. Let them be generous. Let them be repentant. And in all ways, model our need for the cleansing and transforming power of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, come and meet us in this message and teach us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.